That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello, and welcome to the Parting Shot Podcast, Newsweek's weekly dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. On this week's episode, I'll be chatting with two-time Academy Award-winning actress Renee Zellweger about her new NBC miniseries, The Thing About Pam, based on a true story about alleged serial killer Pam Hupp. I'll also chat with Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, about his new book, How Do I Unremember This? Unfortunately True Stories. All that and so much more on this week's The Parting Shot Podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. But before we get to all that excitement with Renee Zellweger and Danny Pellegrino, here's your roundup of culture stories from this week that you need to check out. Horrific images coming out of Ukraine have dominated the news this week, rightly so. A part of that is the international recognition of Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky as he stands up to Russian President Vladimir Putin. As people learn more about Zelensky, they're finding out that the former actor-comedian-turned-president has a unique resume. Video of Zelensky dancing on Ukraine's Dancing with the Stars went viral, and many are just discovering his work as the Ukrainian voice of Paddington Bear and his hit show Servant of the People, where he played a high school teacher who unexpectedly became president. These images, while light and certainly not reflective of the current narrative, offer a better understanding of the man who is now, quite literally, in the streets fighting for his country's independence. The Screen Actors Guild Awards were earlier this week, and while most of it was pretty much expected, there were a few surprises. For example, the Best Actress winner, um, Jessica Chastain, won for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, while most people pretty much had predicted Nicole Kidman to win for Being the Ricardos, which reshapes the Oscar race because most people are seeing Nicole Kidman as a frontrunner, possibly Kristen Stewart for Spencer as a frontrunner, and Olivia Colman is in there, but no one really saw Jessica Chastain getting in the mix, and the fact that she won the SAG Award, which is often very indicative of who will win the Best Actress Oscar, is a surprise, and it really just throws a wrench in the Best Actress campaign. Another surprise that night was for the film Coda. The film stands for Child of Deaf Parents, and it's about a hearing child who has deaf parents, and the child really wants to sing, and it's about the parents sort of coming to grips with that reality. And no one really saw this film as a big frontrunner for the Oscars, but at the SAG Awards, it won not only Best Cast, which is the you know SAG Awards version of Best Picture, but it also won Best Supporting Actor for Troy Coster. So this could be a big surprise on Oscar night. It's the 50th anniversary of the film The Godfather, Francis Ford Coppola's epic three-part saga, and so many moments from the film are iconic, like these lines. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. What have I ever done to make you treat me so disrespectfully? And my personal favorite. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Which, frankly, I mean, Take the Cannoli works in so many situations in life, but it's the scene where the toxic film producer wakes up to a horse's head in his bed that set Reddit ablaze earlier this week because it was revealed that the head in the bed was, in fact, real. Ugh. The film studio wanted Coppola to use a fake horse's head, but he didn't like the way it looked, so he had his art director go to a dog food plant in New Jersey 
And the art director picked a horse that was up for slaughter. And then reportedly, it was reported in Time magazine that the art director said, when that one is slaughtered, send us the head. Ick, 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 ick. On a lighter note, you can read my interview with Courtney Cox in this week's issue of the magazine. We chatted about her new Star's original series, Shining Veil. It's about a family who moves into a haunted house, and only Cox's character, Pat, can see the spirits, which, you know, makes Pat think she's either depressed or possessed. She doesn't know. It's a great chat and a fun show. You really should watch it. We also talked about food because, well, we love food. Of course, stay tuned to the end of this episode for my 60-second roundup of everything you need to watch, read, and look out for in pop culture next week. But first, my chat with Renee Zellweger, right after this break. Renee Zellweger is one of those actresses that whatever she does, you know it's going to be good. Just think about it. Bridget Jones, Cold Mountain, Jerry Maguire, Judy. Oh, Judy was so good. Now, the two-time Oscar winner is back with her first foray into network television with NBC's The Thing About Pam, based on the popular Dateline special and podcast, both presented with Keith Morrison's iconic narration. He also narrates the miniseries, and that voice is like a character in and of itself. Renee plays alleged serial killer Pam Hupp, and honestly, explaining Hupp's case is difficult because it's just wild and hard to believe, and and I don't want to give anything away. So here's a brief description provided by NBC. Two days after Christmas in 2011, Russ Faria came home to find his wife, Betsy, dead. Betsy's brutal murder set off a chain of events that would leave another person dead and expose a diabolical scheme. At the center of all of that is Pam Hupp. I'm telling you, this story is just bonkers. I spoke with Renee about the story and what it was like to don all of those prosthetics to turn into Pam and her thoughts on the reaction on social media when the images of her as Pam went viral. There's been a murder, like a big one. Who would do this? Well, they're holding Russ. Who will come out? I didn't do this. Let's go over your story from the beginning. You said you didn't take Betsy home. Who dropped her off? Her friend, Pam. Russ started putting a pillow over her face. And he'd say, this was going to feel like when you die or whatever. We're going to make sure he pays for what he's done. But we need someone who knows Betsy and Russ's relationship. Well, I know everything about it. at first i was like this doesn't seem like a renee zellweger role like the my renee that doesn't seem like my renee but then when i was watching it i was like whoa this is a renee zellweger role like this is insane what excited you about this part well i had the same reaction that you did the escalating absurdity of her behavior and the choices that she makes and what happens around it around all of it I, that I was really taken. Um, I was taken by the story, what happened to Betsy Faria and her family, to Russ Faria. And I just wanted to know why. Mm-hmm. I was so curious, why? How does that happen? Yeah. How does it happen that you can, uh, I, I don't know, misconstrue so dramatically? Um, it was a really kind of wonderful opportunity to explore some deeper social issues like personal bias confirmation bias and how that comes into play in the criminal justice system. So, yeah. And it's an interesting way to do it through, you know, a dateline podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That part of it. 
hearing his voice narrate i mean that it's it's almost like a hitchcock film in a way it just feels that it just the voice gets you and then you see you on screen and it's just like i'm not going to bed tonight (laughs) (laughs) that's that's really what it is you know it's just so perfect compliment that makes me laugh i'm gonna tell keith morrison you said that Please, please. Um, but I but I do love that there's sort of like this wonderful layer of dark humor throughout the I mean, when you take that straw and stab it into your chill chug, which is like a big bowl, I, it I laughed every single time because it's just such an evil stabbing of a straw and a drink. And I, I wonder if like you responded to the dark humor. Did you love the dark humor in it? Oh, I love it. Of course. I love an opportunity to be cheeky with something and to send a message that, you know, you really have to tiptoe around. Um, Just, yeah, I do. I did enjoy it. And what's interesting is it's sort of this, um, it's also peculiar. And we wanted to be really careful with how we navigated the tone because, you know, it's, it's tragic. There's, there's a lot of suffering and loss uh, involved in this case, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to, you know, you want to be careful about that, um, about, um, you know, being honorable um, yeah. to the memory of Betsy Faria and what her family um, had experienced, but just found that it was, it, you know, the Pam's, uh, the choices that she made and the things that are on public record from her interviews, the information that she shared, her narrative, her personal narrative, it was impossible to tell it without without introducing levity because of the absurdity. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, it felt like, I mean, I have a background in comedy and it, 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 it almost felt like the comedy served as a way to bring the audience in, in a more empathetic way. Like you, you get them with the comedy and then you're really kind of shocked that this woman does all of these things. Thank you. Gosh, you are so, so uh, deeply thoughtful in your um, observations because, yes, that was exactly the intent. It's the juxtaposition of the making you comfortable to laugh that um, amongst the, you know, the tragedy that's that's ongoing in this in this story um, that makes you stop for a second and really feel the weight, the gravity of, of, of the consequences of the decisions or the choices that this person made. I think without it, it's much more difficult to kind of tiptoe into the, um, the, the underlying themes. I don't find that it's effective to open a conversation about socially relevant topics when you proselytize. Yeah, it's much more effective through uh, different means. And having Ginny Klein on as the showrunner, I mean that she has such a perfect voice for, you know, the empathy and the seriousness of the story, but at the same time, sometimes funny. Yes, she's very talented, very talented. It's it's a fine line to walk, and not a lot of people can are successful with that. And she did such a great job. You won an Oscar for playing a real person. Uh, incredible, like Judy, that film that blew me away. And so when watching this, I was like, okay, well, Renee probably is not so scared about playing a real life person. I mean, she's played the hardest person to play in the world. So she clearly can play this person, but do you like, is that daunting at all to you to play someone that is sort of familiar with audiences? I mean, Pam's a little bit different, but she's still a real life person that people know. So is that like a scary task for you to undertake? Yeah, it, 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 it is, but for different reasons. Um, my intention is never to, um, 
you know, I wanted to be responsible and it was never to lampoon a person or to humiliate a person, never. And so I, I like to, um, I want to be honorable um, in telling this story. And so I, I really sort of, I, I, I looked at, at what she had put out in, on the public record, um, the information that she had given in the interviews that she volunteered for. Um, also her testimony in the trials and um, firsthand accounts uh, that, uh, you know, from interviews that the people on the team had, had done with the people who are, you know, in her life or who were in Betsy's life. And, um, I use those, um, as sort of to build the parameters. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I do, it, it's important to me to be responsible. Yeah. Yeah. And what, I mean, you also executive produced this, which I thought was so interesting. Like what, on the on the back side, on the behind the scenes side, what made you want to tell the story from a producing standpoint? I guess it all kind of fell into under the same umbrella of of just recognizing the social relevance of the um, of this case mm-hmm. on a bigger scale yeah. um, than just entertaining true crime story. Um, and as a creative person, I just thought that there could be a really interesting way of telling it that would be more compelling than just a regurgitation of the facts that other um, outlet, other mediums have already, you know, presented in, in several different ways, very successfully. Yeah. And you, I mean, the other thing that I thought was so great about this is it, it, it sort of likens itself so well to television and like you're such, I mean, you're such a movie star that for this to be sort of your first big network project, I think in some ways it, it it helped you, I mean, to me at least, it helped you tell a larger story. It gave us more than what you could do in a two hour film. You really were able to sort of expand and do lots of things. And I wanted to know like, what excited you about television and this project for television? And, and if that you plan on doing more of that? Oh yeah, I hope so. Um, and it's for those very reasons, again, your observations, you're right on, you're spot on. That was exactly what, uh, what made me excited about the prospect that, and, you know, I'm of a generation where we had event television, you know, they played the wizard of Oz once a year. And if you weren't home too bad for you and the same with, uh, you know, the sound of music and every Sunday there was the, you know, Disney special at six 30 where Tinkerbell, you know, waves her little wand. And if you weren't home for it, you know, sorry, I love the idea of, of something being special because you kind of have to go to it. You know, I liked that. And I also feel like with network, um, we would be able to um, reach a broader audience um, and also kind of stand out in a way in a sea of millions of hours of television that's available on all the different streaming platforms. This sort of simplified it a little bit and it made it in my mind a little more special. Yeah. And and you shot during the pandemic, which like that must have been I mean, this is a big project, but like that must have been so hard with everything you had to do with this project. What was it? Had you done anything else like shot anything else during the pandemic? And like what was this experience like for you under those sort of protocols? I didn't leave my house except to do my food delivery, my senior citizen food delivery for a couple of years there in in the canyon. I didn't I didn't do anything. Um, and, uh, I found that I'm actually suited, nicely suited to that. I like hanging out with my dogs. (laughs) 
but uh, but this was, you know, they did a great job. They did a great job. And uh, and Blumhouse had been filming throughout, uh, following the protocols and um, and the science and whatever the law was requiring at the time. Um, and we did really well. We did really well. Everyone was very respectful. Everyone wore their masks. Everyone showed up early to get your test done. And, you know, it was cautious in the choices that they made, um, recognizing that, you know, we had proximity to a couple hundred people every day, which, you know, we wanted to care for one another. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to, I did an interview a while back with Angela Bassett and she was saying how, like because she was shooting under, you know, protocol things that she sometimes didn't recognize people <laughs> when when she was like when they would take down their masks because she only knew them from the mask. Did you have that at all? All the time. <laughs> all the time. Somebody seems familiar and you kind of nod and oh, there's a beard under there. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? A couple of tattoos. That's such a fun surprise. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? The other thing that like was big about this project is, I mean, obviously you had to wear a lot of prosthetics and that that exploded the internet in ways that I think, I don't think necessarily was totally warranted in my opinion, but it was, it sort of went in different directions. I wanted to know if you, what your, what your response to that sort of internet explosion was and and also just in a real sort of like technical way what was it like going through all of that to become Pam okay um both really good questions and that's the fun of not being on social media is that I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) you are living a blessed life Renee was there a tragedy what happened <laughs> what did I do now I hope it's good <laughs> I hope it's juicy well, it was, I mean it was oh, juicy I guess I hope my life gets so much more interesting <laughs> on the internet I have nothing to do with it but it's much more interesting you're living a really good world there because I, I I live on the internet and I have to say people are weird people are weird sometimes well, yeah yeah you know and who has time for that I don't I don't I got call my mom I got emails <laughs> I got to be on Zooms. We got to choose things and people and keep projects going and find writers and all kinds of things. So, you know, I got my dogs. They need medical care. I don't (laughs) got time to worry about what whoever and whatever is talking about. I I love that. About women's bodies again. Yeah. Can we just just stop talking about women's bodies? Let's just stop talking about women's bodies. Amen to that. Thank you. Um, So I, uh, the process was awesome. I've never done something as comprehensive as that. It was peculiar and fun and so stupid, like (laughs) so stupid. Like by the third day and I got the boils and the allergic (laughs) rash and all the things and the Benadryl's going down with the topicals and And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> that's like, that's like real glue. I'm putting like real glue on my real face and um, all day, um, wow. but it's magic. And the fact that they can do it and they can do it safely and they can do it so consistently is remarkable. Um, and uh, what else can I tell you about it? Oh, that I didn't know that I did not know how to do that because it's a whole different skill set. Yeah. I don't know. Well, your I, walk changes. I, I mean, <laughs> so much, so much about you changes when you put on this stuff that you, I mean, you're, you're an amazing actress, obviously, but like you really do 
change your body in a lot, even how you sit. I mean, I was watching you sit in the in the jury room thing, not the jury room, but the witness room thing. And just even how you sit was different somehow. Did that I mean, did were you I'm sure you were conscious of that, but maybe not. Oh, that's just that's just that's just acting. <laughs> that's just that's just my job. <laughs> that's what you get paid to do. That's what we do. That's what we do. Oh, it yeah. was it's so good. It's so well, my last question for you, because I I think every single, you know, musical theater nerd out there would kill me if I didn't ask this question because it is 20 years later. It is Chicago 20th anniversary. Insane to think that it's been 20 years. That movie changed. It brought back movie musicals in a way that was so grand and big and awesome. And I want to know, like, what your thoughts are on it 20 years later. And, like, how much do you just love that movie? I am. Um, OK, so uh, Rob Marshall knew what he was doing, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, he um, really did. Yeah, he did. You know, I have a hard time separating myself from it, from the, you know, my experience on it. I could just think of it from that perspective. And I just, it's just treasure to me. It's treasure. I can't believe it's been 20 years. And I know that like, <laughs> that Catherine can still do all that stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, it's insane. She was up there singing pregnant on the Oscar stage. How? Buzz. How? It's her dream. She started hoofing in the West End when she was a teenager. Of course she can. It's her joy. And boy, I was so angry when you didn't win the Oscar for that. I mean, you won other Oscars, so you're doing fine. But like, I was so (laughs) angry when you didn't win the Oscar for that. (laughs) No, it's 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 probably best. It's it's best. It was it was a nice night. I enjoyed it. was fun it was a weird time do you remember yeah. that we were just about to go to war yeah, yeah. it was a weird time the oscars were delayed like a month or something i mean it I was yeah they had barricades on hollywood boulevard yeah. um but like you couldn't see through them barricades and what were they 25 feet tall it was crazy yeah. i mean i've similar... never been alone on a red carpet before but that's how they did it one it... at a time because it wasn't safe it's probably similar to last year's oscars as well then just because of the because of covid you know, you're right. Yes, it was. Yeah, I, I just before I got on with you, I was watching all of your Oscar videos just because I enjoy that. And it had nothing to do with research or anything. I just wanted to watch you on the Oscars. And I remember you were presenting Frances McDormand, her Oscar, and you sort of like scurried off stage in that beautiful pink dress you were wearing. And I was like, COVID, she can't even stay on stage with her. <laughs> <laughs> no, I might have scurried anyway. You know? <laughs> I might have. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And I'm totally genuine when I say I really loved it. And, and I'm so glad that I may, I have this moment to speak with you. Woo-woo, me too. You're lovely, lovely thank person. You. I love chatting with you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. If you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably a lot like me. You're obsessed with pop culture, which is why I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend who is basically a carbon copy of me, albeit immensely more talented, Danny Pellegrino. He hosts the crazy popular podcast, Everything Iconic, and is out with his new book, How Do I Unremember This? Unfortunately, True Stories. Like most of my conversations with Danny, we started on topic... And then we just sort of geeked out on literally everything, including my first guest today, Renee Zellweger. Danny Pellegrino, so much fun. 
Love you to death. I will say full disclosure. Hello. We are friends in real life. So, you know. And I'm I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you. I love you so much. Yeah. And uh I, yes, this is a dangerous a podcast venture we're about to embark I know. on because I feel like it could take us anywhere. Well, I mean, well, <laughs> I'll say we 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 meant to record, but we've been chatting for 15 minutes before this about the most random nonsensical things. So here we are. Listeners, enjoy the ride. Um, I am so proud of you, first off, for this book you are writing. This isn't your first book. This is your first solo sort of book endeavor, really, yes. which is insane to me. It's called How Do I Unremember This? Unfortunately, True Stories. I want to know your most embarrassing story. Well, they're all in the book. And I'm super <laughs> excited. And, and I'm very nervous. I'm feeling so vulnerable now because there are a lot of stories that are very cringy and yeah. uh, that I, I shared in the book. And I, I open up about more serious things like my depression. And I, I talk mm-hmm. a little bit about grief, um, specifically my grandmother's passing. But ultimately, I wanted the book to be very fun and funny and feel like a warm hug and everyone to have a good time. But, that is yeah, so I, you. That is you, I will say. You are that okay. person. You are funny and you are a warm hug and you are my hallmark friend and I love it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and but but I I'd rather people laugh at me and yes. with me. Yes. Um than at something else. So, yeah, there's a lot of embarrassing things. One of my favorite stories that appears in the book is a family member had passed away and my mom was the one in charge of getting the urn oh. for her, for the passing. Okay. And so she ordered it off Amazon. And at the time uh, she had <laughs> That's already her, funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> which I didn't even know. Did you know you, you could, could get an no, urn No, I had Amazon? no idea you could order an urn on Amazon. Right. Shocking. Yeah. But yeah. She got the urn. Somehow she got the urn on Amazon. And she had bought some other stuff on Amazon and they were all in this one pile. And she asked me to go return some of her stuff to Kohl's. There was an Amazon drop-off center at the Kohl's. So this was the holiday season. I go to Kohl's with the package and I'm in Kohl's and I'm unloading at the Amazon drop-off center and I'm realizing like I'm holding an urn. Yeah. Um, and it's not in the box. You're actually just holding the physical urn. I'm, I, I like take it out of the box because this box has all these things. And I call my yeah. mom. I'm like, do you want me to return? She had given me some child toys that she got for my nieces and nephews that okay. she got doubles of or something. She's like, Dan, don't return the urn. I need that. And I was like, well, why was the urn with the other Amazon stuff? So I need that. That's for your cousin, you know, and yeah. like bring it back. So then I'm just... She's also telling me I got to get the pajamas for my niece. So she's like, "Go get the pajamas." It's a holiday season. Coals around the holiday season is a is, nightmare. Just wretched, yeah. So I'm walking around with an urn. I see people that I know from back home because this is in Ohio, and they're like yeah. looking at me like, "What the hell are you doing with an urn in the coals?" I got <laughs> one arm is holding the urn. The other arm is holding the wad full of coals cash because every Midwestern lady <laughs> has just the largest. My mom gave me this envelope as if I was. I don't know, bringing a stack of ones to a strip club, but it was yeah. just Kohl's cash to <laughs> buy some frozen pajamas for my niece. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I saw um, basically, we all have a sort of an arch nemesis from our growing up years, oh, right? I like, know mine very well. Yes. Yeah. So there was this girl who really made my life a, a hell. Um, and I saw her in line as I'm waiting. And I was just, it was the kind of thing you don't want to run into anyone from your hometown oh. at, in a moment like that, but let alone sort of my arch nemesis while so, you're holding an urn. Yeah. So it was just like that. It was a rough, it was a rough go. Yeah. There, so there's stories like that. There was uh, the, the football cheerleaders, uh, unfortunately were cheering my name and an, an unfortunate cheer one Friday night, that story's oh. in there. So there's bad date stories. And I mean, we all have those. I was trying to think of my most embarrassing moment. And I think it probably would be, 
at my first bar mitzvah ever, not my bar mitzvah, but at the first bar mitzvah I ever attended, where my mom, who loves practical jokes, told me that um, they circumcised the boy at the bar mitzvah. And because I feel like you and I were probably very similar children, uh, we pro- I went to the bar mitzvah and wound up telling every single person that Stephen was about to get circumcised because I had, I mean, I, I'm the gossip, so I have to tell everyone. And I get up the nerve because at that point I've worked myself up so much that I'm nervous about seeing Steve get circumcised. And I, I go up to his parents and I'm like, great party, a lot of fun but I can't see Steve get circumcised and I've never seen a mother. <laughs> I go. Yeah. I've never seen a mother look at me. And then she grabbed my hand. <laughs> she took me to another group of women and she said, I want you to say exactly what you just told me to this group of women. And I did. And they all burst up laughing and I was mortified. Sure. That's when I realized. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, it's also the first time I killed at a joke. So like, you know, I guess it, it works. It, and it shapes you a little bit. And I think, uh, the truth is always stranger than fiction. So one of the things as I was writing this book, I really tried to uh, focus on all of those stories. I call them sort of cocktail stories. Like they're the kind of stories that we tell at a a cocktail party that uh, you can't even believe happened to you that did happen to you. Or oftentimes on the holidays, we get together with our families and uh, we say, remember about that vacation we took uh, where we drove from Ohio to Florida. And it's like, you retell that story. And so the book is loaded with those, so hopefully people can relate and, and they'll think of their own sort of cringy, well, that's uh, awkward kinda, stories. I think that's what's so great about what you do, both with the book, but also with your podcast, Everything Iconic, is that, you know, you're sharing these things, your obsessions, your loves, but it also sort of, it, it, it endears you to people that are listening to you because, you know, just like with me and in, with with writing and comedy and everything, like you you want to say things to make people relate to you so that maybe that they can see something of themselves in it. And you can all have this sort of back and forth with each other in a way. And I think you do that so well, both in the book and also in the podcast, everything I thank you so much. I think you and I are both pop culture junkies and I think there's a, a language and, and one of the things with whether it be my podcast or social media or the book, I try to lean into those pop culture obsessions. When I like something, whether it be something like the Rosie O'Donnell show, which you and I have talked about before, or whatever it is, I do become obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. I I think oftentimes the human instinct is to shy away from those obsessions because you feel weird or you feel like it's silly or something. And I think it's really important for us to embrace those things, especially now when everything's so heavy and dark. And I think it's like, let's celebrate the things that we love and uh, as I was writing, I was, I asked my editor, I was like, are there too many pop culture references in here? Like, I feel like every line has yeah. some sort of nineties reference or something. Yeah. And ultimately I, we just leaned into that. I leaned into that because I thought there's going to be people like me or you out yeah. there who are reading it and they're going to know those references. And if you don't get the reference on page six, maybe you'll understand the one on page yeah. seven, but yeah. I think plenty of us use movies, TV, film, toys mm-hmm. as a language with each other. And because it so, becomes the story of our lives in a way. Like, you know, I, I look at the Rosie O'Donnell show and I, the one thing I always say about the Rosie O'Donnell show is that like, I skipped the last day of school just to watch the premiere of the Rosie O'Donnell show. And that's like a touchstone in my life that I will remember convincing my mother to let me skip the last day of school just to watch a TV show. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, those are the, so th- those are the stories, like you're saying, that we tell in our families because they're so iconic. They're so sort of like a like a like they're a touchstone in our lives that we can relate to and and bond over. And when I first met you, I mean, 
Rosie O'Donnell, the nanny, like these things mm-hmm. became sort of like the cornerstones of our identities of how we how we react in the world and the things that we reference. What do you think it is about like Rosie O'Donnell? I mean, now even that we still just sort of love about her and her show. I, it's I, I'm always fascinated by her opinion on everything. Yeah. I think just good or bad because sometimes day, it's controversial. Right. Even yeah. to this day, though, I think there, she has a quality where I'm hanging on every word that she's saying, whether it be on TikTok now or yeah. it was on The View or The Rosie O'Donnell Show. I love on The Rosie O'Donnell Show how she, like we just talked about, would embrace those pop culture obsessions. Mm-hmm. And she didn't shy away from it. She let the emotions spill through in an interview in a way that I think most talk show hosts will would pull themselves back. Yeah, She instead let the emotion uh, boil over. Mm-hmm. And she just has a way about her. I think there's so many of us who grew up with that show who still hang on every word she says. I want her to do a podcast or something. And yes, there are times she says something or does something that I don't agree with her, but she just has an innate quality to really make you hang on each word that she's saying, which Which is is rare. uh, It's rare. And it's the mark, I think of a good stand-up comic, but it's and a good comic in general, but also the mark of like a good personality and something that like you and I both bond over relate over is our obsession with daytime TV, daytime talk shows, which is a big thing. I mean, from the retro ones that we love, like the Rosie O'Donnell show or like Oprah, we both obsess over Oprah, but also like The View and Mm -hmm. how today, I mean, I can't imagine my mornings without watching The View. Like, it's just, just, why, what is, what makes sort of a great daytime talk show host? Like, what is it about The View that we love so much? I think there's an ease to it. I was just talking about Kelly Ripper recently. I think she's oh, so much uh, she's Perfect. so much better than she gets credit for, I think. And she's been doing it for so many years. She's so charming and relatable and mm-hmm. and I just love her and she makes the job look so easy. Yeah. And I think the best talk show hosts make the job look easy. You, you watch someone um like Joy Behar on The View and she still delivers really clever, witty, great jokes every yeah. single day. Yeah. And She's been doing this for a hundred years on that show. It's 25 seasons in. I think she had one or two seasons off in the middle there. Where she will tell you she was fired. She was fired and (laughs) she came back, but she still delivers as if she's writing stand-up. I mean, you know how hard it is to do, to write jokes like that. And she does it on every episode. She'll have one or two zingers and and she makes it look easy. They come out easy. And so I think any good talk show host, they make it appear easy when, you and I know that it's not easy. Wendy Williams, unfortunately, is stepping aside and yeah. uh, is no longer um, going to be on her show. But she I makes, think she'll be around, though. I think she'll be I, around. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I, and she's another person I don't always agree with her delivery yeah, or her whatever. Of but the way the ease at which she delivers 20 minutes at the top of a show in that purple chair mm-hmm. and people watch it. And I don't know that people realize how difficult it is to sit and talk for 25 minutes about a bunch of topics because it's a one-sided conversation one-sided it's like mind-blowing and there have been people who've successfully stepped in that chair sherry's done it beautifully and she's going to be doing her own show but uh, i think it's an ease that is so much harder than people realize but they all make it look easy yeah the the good ones it's sort of like the the gift of gab if you will like i love i and i always thought that was such a funny expression but because they used to say I had like when I was a kid, my mom would be like, you have the gift of gab because my family is like the opposite of me and that they're all 
love them to death, but very, very boring people who <laughs> do not have the gift of gab at all. And, and, but I mean, you and I, like we, people like us, but also people like, you know, some of the great talk show hosts, it's that idea of just sort of being able to talk to anyone, mm-hmm. even if it's just to yourself for a long period of time and find entertainment in it in a yeah. weird way, you know? And I, authenticity is so important too because there have been so many celebrity talk shows that yes. have come and gone over the years where jeff they get one show. or two seasons <laughs> what did you say the jeff probe show right yeah and you can tell it's like that's it's not for them yeah and and they're trying to be something they're not i remember anderson cooper who i love anderson cooper he's great but when he did his talk show no, it didn't feel good. authentic because it was like I don't believe that he's the kind of person who wants to sit and talk to a celebrity or sit and talk to any, I I mean, he's a news guy and he's brilliant at it, Yeah, but, but so the audience is not going to buy you in that thing. But we buy Ricky Lake. We buy, I mean, from my case, we buy, I bought Queen Latifah. I buy Carney Wilson. I buy Tyra because there is this sort of, I feel like you have to be weird. You have to have a weird thing about you that is just sort of not like other people in that, there's just something about the way you communicate. It's just kind of different. And yeah. and I think those kind of people, Oprah, these, you know, the great Rosie, of course, they have these sort of ability. Ellen even is a great example of someone who, you know, she's not a great interviewer by any means, but she's able to sort of have this back and forth with somebody that can sometimes be awkward. Hello, Dakota Johnson. Or right. can sometimes be really entertaining, like anything she did with Michelle Obama or like over the years, those videos that she did. Anything she does with Oprah is so funny because they're, they're these two wild figures that you can't imagine them being in a grocery store together. And then you see them in a grocery store together and you're like, this is what I've always needed in my life. Totally. Yeah. And I tend to gravitate towards the talk show hosts who seem like genuine fans of the people they're interviewing yes. too yes. like a rosie or when kelly ripa has madonna on, it's like so fun to me that to see her just fan girl over it or share she heard did you see right. the clip of her with the toothbrush and share it's so good it's, it's so like that's, good that's what's yeah that that's what that's a great talk show clip and over the years there have been times where it's like you can tell the person interviewing it's like they don't give a shit about yeah, exactly. whoever it is yeah totally well and so you're the, not going to like every interview you do but no but you, you know, at least can overall. bring something to it you can bring a you know a, a thing to it now you as a great host of both everything iconic but also a great writer of your book you have a story to tell about someone that is on today's episode of the Parting Shot podcast, Renee Zellweger. When when you and I were texting about this, you were like, oh, I have a Renee Zellweger story. I need to share it. So I need to hear it, please. Yeah, so in the book, there's this whole story about Renee Zellweger. I love the movie Judy. And like I said, when I like something, I tend to become obsessed with it. Like when that movie came out, I was reading every book I could about Judy Garland. I was singing all of her music. You're the same person. Because I did the I exact became, same thing. Because <laughs> yeah. it was so good. Like, yeah. That performance to me. And of course she won the Oscar, but still, I, I still to this day, I'm like telling people, we need to talk about that performance, Mark. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. And Renee was breathtaking and it made me fall in love even more with Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. And so after that came out, I was just running around talking about Judy Garland all the time in a, in a <laughs> sick way. Like my boyfriend, <laughs> we've been together over a decade and he just is exhausted by me because everywhere I go, when I like something, I just saw the Channing Tatum dog movie and I'm running around telling everyone about the Channing Tatum dog movie. And he's like, enough, like that's, 
you seem crazy because yeah. you're talking about a dog movie. It's not even like a cultural <laughs> phenomenon. It's just like him and a dog. Yeah. And like it's no magic mic. See this. <laughs> yeah. Or Abbott elementary. I feel like everyone yeah. I talk to, I'm like, you got to watch this Abbott elementary. And he'll just sort of hear me in the peripheral and be like, you need to cool it. But so uh, there was uh, after Judy came out, he had a dinner plan with his boss and his boss's wife. And yeah. then there was another couple that worked at, there were two other couples that worked at the company there. And we made a bet. He's like, you, I bet you can't go the whole dinner without bringing up Judy Garland. <laughs> and, and I, I made the bet with him and I thought I could do it. And then ultimately people could read a little bit more about it, but ultimately I lost the bet because I couldn't go a single dinner <laughs> and the whole dinner. I was like trying to let the deal was like, if somebody else brought it up, it was fine. Yeah. But if I brought it up, I lost the bet. And so he had to run to feed the meter of the car. And so then I was just trying to like give everyone hints to bring up the Judy Garland movie or Renee Zellweger or whatever. Yeah. And I was trying so hard. And uh, ultimately I started humming one of the Judy Garland songs. Uh, clang, clang, clang goes to trolley so as good. one does. As one and does. He, and he caught me uh, in a in an inopportune <laughs> performance of it at the table, and I lost the bet. I have so. a feeling. I mean, I, I I'm I'm actually proud of you for losing the bet because uh, I think you should lean into these things. And I would venture to say that if someone asked me to to give an example of how Renee Zellweger is relevant in every situation in life, I can actually give a re- like. Am I feeling a little chubby today? Yes, I am. I'm Bridget Jones today. Is it cold? Ooh, cold mountain. Cold is mountain. It, Which is it cold mountain I could talk about for hours and oh, hours same. and hours because that performance is amazing. I mean, I did. I told her in the interview I, 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 that that I was very angry she did not win the Oscar for Chicago, but that she went on to win for, of course, Cold Mountain and Judy, so she's doing fine. But still, I think Chicago should, should have been her yeah. one that she won for. But even then, like every time I get on a plane, every time I get on a plane and I look at first class and I walk through first class as I'm going back to coach or something, I think of Renee Zellweger in Jerry Maguire longingly looking up at first class and talking about how life is different in first class. And it's just Renee Zellweger is forever relevant. Yeah. And Jerry Maguire is one of my all time favorite movies. How like, good is that love movie? I love it, love it, love it, love it so much. What is your favorite Renee movie? If you had to pick just one. If I had to pick just one really quickly, I'm going to say Bridget Jones because it is a touchstone. I'm such a, I'm such a British UK nerd that I love anything British UK. And Bridget Jones was just like, to this day, I still fall asleep to it probably monthly. Like one yeah. day out of every month, I will fall asleep to Bridget Jones. What is yours? It's comfort food, and I think Bridget Jones's baby is underrated. I love I like Bridget. It. I love yeah. all the Bridget Joneses. I'm, I'm yeah. gonna, even even when they did the like a virgin in the prison and Bridget Jones too. I was there for it. I'm there for a musical number. Yeah, I love. I, we need more musical numbers in movies in general. In the '90s, we grew up with stepmom had a musical number. Yeah, like we need a musical number. Stepmom. Um, <laughs> I think uh, my favorite Renee Zellweger is Jerry Maguire, but yeah. performance wise, it's Judy. Like I worship just, that movie. When that came out, it was like. It was like seeing Charlize Theron and Monster for the first time. It was seeing Hilary Swank and Boys Don't Cry. And those are really dramatic movies. But where you see an actress do something where you're just like, how did you do that? Right. How did- I was in the theater just welled up the whole yes. time, like just blo- blown away as if I'd never seen something. It, I mean, an unhealthy reaction to this film. And, oh. and again, saw it with my boyfriend who had no reaction to this film. <laughs> <laughs> He'd just sort of, I think he might have fallen asleep at one point. Oh, my was, God. I would just, have broken up that second. 
<laughs> I know. So I remember leaving the theater and being like, oh my God, like, I'm like, we need to talk about that. Can you believe how good that was? And he was like, yeah. Do you know <laughs> how like, hard it was oh. for me to not ask her? Because I became so obsessive over Judy to the point where I was like, what did they, what prosthetics did they use? What did they do to her face to make her? It's so like a Judy Garland thing. Nothing. It was literally, she did the eyeliner makeup and like, it was just all Renee Zellweger. And that to me, I'm like, oh my she's God. She's really good. I mean, I just, I'm so curious what she always does. I mean, she's got the thing about Pam coming out, but I yeah. just, I'm. I need so more Renee. Endlessly. We need more Renee. And she took that long break for a while and I was devastated by Same. it. Same. And she came back with a vengeance with Judy and I just don't want, I don't know. I just want her around doing all sorts of crazy stuff because also there's very few actresses now who do the kind of crazy range that she does in her projects. And so I want Nicole Kidman is probably the only one I think I would compare in terms of range to a Renee Zellweger in terms of the, the films that she, they choose, you know, and I love, I live the, for both of them. And the fact that even if you don't love a, a movie or performance, they do, they're like taking a big old yeah. swing. And you it's know, like, I would add Angela Bassett that. to that as well. Angela, Angela Bassett, Bassett is one that like, she can, she can go in a crazy range with American Horror Story, or she can go in a really sort of like regal range with Black Panther or do something like what's, what's love got to do with it. And it's just sort of like, how are you a human being? How how yeah. do you Viola Davis? That's another one. How do you do these things? I mean, basically, we're just talking about great actresses, and I have a feeling we're going to be talking about great actresses for many years to come. Danny Pellegrino, where can people follow you on the internet? You can find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino. My show is called Everything Iconic, and then pre-order the book. It's a great feature if you're going on spring break or something. It's lots of pop culture, lots of nostalgia in it, and hopefully relatably fun stories, and it'll hopefully make you feel good. You're so gonna bye. love it, everyone, and I love you, Danny Pellegrino. I love you so much. Thank you for having me. Your roundup of everything you need to watch, read, and look out for in pop culture next week in under 60 seconds. There is so much going on, especially on TV, so prepare to be entertained. Start the clock. The big, big, big movie this week is Robert Pattinson's debut as The Batman. The film also stars Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman, Paul Dano as the Riddler, and an unrecognizable Colin Farrell as the Penguin. Honestly, I look at it and I just can't... How is that Colin Farrell? I don't know. In music, Band of Horses is out with their new album, Things Are Great. In books, Dolly Parton and James Patterson have teamed up to write Run, Rose, Run. Also, Tony-winning Broadway icon Harvey Firestein is out with his new memoir, I Was Better Last Night. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for my chat with Firestein about his new book and career. On TV, there is so much going on. Netflix will premiere The Andy Warhol Diaries. And, of course, there's always the guilty pleasures of reality TV this week with The Bachelor and American Idol. And then finally, Stars has a really big Sunday this week with the return of Outlander and the premiere of Shining Veil, vale, of course, starring Courtney Cox, which you can read my interview with her in the magazine this week. What did I miss? Let me know what you're watching this week. You can find me at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to the Parting Shot Podcast. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all social platforms. If you like the podcast, do me a favor and leave a little rating or review. It really helps. I'll be back next week with Jabari Banks, star of Peacock's Bel Air, the dramatic reboot of the iconic 90s sitcom Fresh Prince of Bel Air. 
So stay tuned for all of that and so much more next week. Until then, grab a snack, watch something fun, and have a great week. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.